Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, empowering actors to create episodes. Special announcement. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Siebert. Okay, film friends, we are either insane or super bold. For as you are our witness, we are going to practice what we preach. We are going to make a feature film and you are going to see us crash, burn, succeed, or fly. It's called First Feature Series, where we're going to pick an expert guest to pick their brain on how to make a feature. As well as giving an update on our feature's progress. If you haven't already, follow Nothing Shines Like Dirt on Facebook and Twitter. Social media is where we will share our upcoming guests. We will be opening the floor for questions from you, our amazing audience. Please send us your questions to nothingshineslikedirt at gmail.com with the subject line hashtag feature film. We can't wait to hear from you and to share our journey. We are excited slash terrified slash we have so much work to do slash overwhelmed slash jumping off the walls slash doing a little dance slash pee in my pants slash pants dance pee pants. Yeah, I mean, my my advice always to filmmake like up and coming filmmakers is meet as many people as you can and form as many relationships as you can because at the end of the day, this entire business, no matter who you are in it, producer, director, executive, it's all based on relationships and who you know. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, empowering actors to create episode two zero. I'm Elise Siebert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today we are on the road at Stay Gold Features with producers Daniela Taplin Lundberg and Kristen Konovitz. We discuss the nuances of producing, finding a fresh voice, and, and being badass ladies in the film industry. industry. <laughs> 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 and how did you two meet? So I I started this company now what five months in April almost five months um, and I was like sort of looking for a badass sort of right hand I just come from a company called Red Crown Productions I had started that company a, a while ago and it was just starting my own film fund and so um, so a couple of agents at WME which is a company that we work with frequently were like you've got to meet this girl Kristen and like they kind of feel like my parents sometimes where I'm like I I'm not gonna do just what you tell me to do but then she came in and she was like so dazzling and just smart and on top of it knew what was going on and just felt like that's exactly what I need so so um I hired her soon thereafter and we've been working together for Six months now. That's great. Yeah. yeah. How is starting your own company? How has that experience been? It's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's so scary. Because I've always gone into things like I, I had a company called Plum Pictures many years ago um, with two female partners, two women my age, and that and we did that for seven years and we made like twenty movies there and we like cut our teeth and they were all really small movies. They were all like under $2 million and go our separate ways very amicably. And I was like, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to do this on my own, which I felt ready to do, but it's also so scary to go and try to raise money and pitch people. And like, you're kind of selling yourself and that's hard to do. I mean, I yeah. find that's really hard for people to do. It's easy to sell someone else, especially as a producer, but to sell yourself is, is harder. Um, 
we're actors. We know yes, all we about. Know all so, about. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> My mom's an actress. My mom's yeah. an actress. So I totally get it. It's like you've got to like give it your all, but then, you know, other people are judging you constantly, and it's so yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. How is being a woman producer, especially yeah. on this like cusp of women, like really? driving forward in the film industry and there's a lot of conversation about it and what has your experience been do you have any like crazy stories or anything I always tell this story like it was much earlier in my career um and I was in a pitch meeting and it was like I was probably 25 or 26 at the time and I had um optioned this book which I still have and the movie's not made yet but we will make it Kristen and I will make it um it's called the rise of Theodore Roosevelt and it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book and um it was about Teddy Roosevelt's early life so before he became president sort of like an origin story about Teddy and we were in a pitch meeting and you know through luck and circumstance and sort of will we had assembled this awesome package like Leonardo DiCaprio was attached and Martin Scorsese was attached and I was in with the writer and um and we are pitching to like a big studio head and the studio head asks me how did you get this book like how did you get this idea how did you convince the writer to option it to you and the writer says well it's because she's so cute and like, you know, in that moment, what do you, you know, you just laugh and you play it off and you answer the question, <laughs> which was, I was a history buff and I, it was a story that hadn't been told, but, um, I'll never forget that, you know? Um, but I would say, I, I don't really feel like these days that because I'm a woman, I'd get less opportunity. I think like the film industry is actually, a place where there are a lot of female producers. There's a lot of female executives. There's a lot of women that I look up to, just heads of studios and other filmmakers, Donna Gelati and Jennifer Todd and Mary Parent. Like these are just badass women who are making incredible films. You know, I heard a story about The Revenant, which went like wildly over budget. And then I heard the story that Mary Parent went in and she was sort of the one who was able to wrangle it and bring it in. And I just thought that was so incredible and impressive. And um, so I myself don't feel like because I'm a woman, I have less opportunity. That's, that's um, a good thing. Yeah. That is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I find that I see more projects that have female producers than necessarily directors or yes. other other I agree with that. Cinematographers. Yeah, cinematographers for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a really good point. Although, you know, I feel like we're constantly dealing with um, female filmmakers and they're out there. Um, it's just a matter of giving them the opportunity and also having women step up and like really go for those commercial projects that will allow you to do whatever you want, you know, um, I'm friendly with Elizabeth Banks and she sort of, she did Pitch Perfect 2 and she like that movie made oodles of money and now she's on the Charlie's Angel reboot and she's, I mean, she's really doing whatever she wants and she, I think she makes it a point to really take out young female filmmakers and say, do a commercial project, you, you know, like if you have the opportunity, like make some money so that the industry is like, yes, this is a, a filmmaker who happens to be female but can make us a profit because really it's 
it's a business as yeah. much as anything else, you yeah. know? Well, it's a um, balance of finding like stories that maybe speak to you and something that might be a little more commercial and making it, you yes. know, making it a passion project. Yeah. And I think that's something that we really um, are trying to pursue, like finding films that feel unique and bold and start a conversation, but will also be things that people will go to see. Um, and that that's, being commercial <laughs> yeah so you really it's hard yeah. to find those two things you and know? I think at the end of the day that those types of movies end up being you know filmmakers today diversity or women or people that are trying to tell different stories than just like your average studio fair or anything like that it's going to be the people that kind of have experienced that stuff that are going to help it rise above and be a little more outside the box or unique mm-hmm. and give it like a flavor so I mean, we're not like actively seeking out like female filmmakers only mm-hmm. or diversity mm-hmm. filmmakers only, but it just, it, it tends to be, it tends, I feel, to have a lot more prevalence in the indie world than in the studio world, but because yeah. those are the types of stories they're telling, but. Right, and, and the stories that haven't been told yet, you know, haven't had the opportunity. To I love that about you guys. I um, found a, a YouTube video of an mm-hmm. interview and you said you really look for fresh original stories are there any stories that you guys think aren't being told right now like is there anything that you think people need to be telling or grounded sci-fi yeah (laughs) Yeah. i'm kidding no i'm kidding just came back from the toronto film festival and every project she brought home is like it's a grounded (laughs) sci-fi romance we like, just the new interviewed a sci-fi phrase. director. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Sci-fi director. Oh, is that yeah. right? She lives in my neighborhood in Jersey City, like down the street from me. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Friends. Yeah, and so we were just talking to her, and she likes the the human side of sci-fi. Oh, so. my gosh. Well, it's so funny. It's like last year I was like, Kristen, we got it. Like, let's get let's get a sci-fi. Like, I want to do sci-fi. And now it's like it's everywhere. everywhere. Like every project is sci-fi. So it's like, like Ex Machina got yeah, made and yeah, all exactly. hell broke loose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see the um, Blade Runner reboot, though. I think that'll be that'll be really interesting. But I think, you know, I think we're always sort of trying to stay ahead of the curve. Like we did Doris or I did Doris, um, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago now. And no one wanted to finance that movie. They were like. Sally Field, like she's done. Oh, like who cares? So, so great. Uh, I watched it today. Thank I was like, you. I, like, I want to see it. Yeah, that's so was nice. Amazing. And and now it's like a huge trend. We either get sci-fi or we get like people of an older set, you know, generation <laughs> are the leads. This is so fresh. And and I think um, one of the things we want to do is just, just sort of like stay ahead of that a little bit. Okay, so we did we did Doris. It was really great. We, you know, if we find another really unique film that happens to have an older person as a lead like fantastic um but the reason we did that movie was not because we were like trying to find a trend it was because that story felt really fresh and like something we hadn't seen before uh and so that that's sort of what we're all like whenever we're talking about projects it's like how does this transcend the marketplace like why is this different why why is someone on the street going to go see this and that's like the conversation you kind of have to go through, especially when you have your own money in, in projects. You know? Those are such great questions for our audience to ask themselves when they're yeah. starting to create their own work. Those are beautiful questions totally. to, to kind of drive a project. Yeah, yeah you just have to think about that 
today to get somebody to go to a movie theater and pay, you know, what, $13 now to actually go see a movie, it has to be something really special. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're not, you know, because they can just watch any number of thousands and thousands of things on right. Netflix There's or so the much. internet. Yeah. There's so, so much now. Like, to get them to actually come out and see something theatrically, like, it has to stand out yeah. significantly. Well, speaking of advice for filmmakers, so for someone who is getting into producing, like, mm-hmm. especially when you're moving from short film into feature, what sort of advice do you ladies have for first-time feature producers? For producers? Mm-hmm. Hmm... you know I I, it's funny like I I have advice for young filmmakers producing is like a very specific path and it's a painful one and it's one that's like not rewarding and you know you talk to 10 producers and they have like 10 different ways that they happen to become producers Um, and so you know for me like at the end of the day when I was trying to become a producer Um, it really came down to whether I was able to physically raise the money. And, and, you know, I was an English lit major um, in college. Like I I was a reader, I was a writer, like I loved literary material. Like I was drawn to this business um, for creative reasons, but I quickly found that if I actually wanted to produce movies, you needed to have financial savvy. You needed to understand like how to speak to an investor, if they're going to put $100,000 of their money in, you need to be able to tell them, like, what's the exit strategy here? Like, what's your plan? And you can't just be like, well, it's a really special, you know, screenplay. And like, this director has a lot of potential, you know, like those things may be true. But if you're actually like physically starting a film, you need to be able to speak to the people who are putting the money in. Um, and so I got like a very sort of rudimentary um, tutorial very early on and like from that point on I like I I understood what debt was I understood what equity was I understood what like a mez piece in in a film was um I understood like what a standard return should be um and those things are the things that like investors want to feel confident about you know they don't want to just think that they're throwing money away or or giving it because they like you or you seem friendly you know i think that like you know <laughs> you have to dollars doesn't get friendly <laughs> <laughs> that's right so um i would say that that is for me has been like the the thing that has allowed me to get what little success I have had being able to speak to investors. And then once you have like a track record, you can start to, you know, go after bigger projects. And and because you have people who trust you and will put money behind you. And that is a big deal in this industry, you know. Um, So that's, that's my short answer. (laughs) Do you have any like dream projects? We always talk about, you know, filmmakers that we, that we die to, work Work with with. Denny Villeneuve is like one of these directors Mm. um who who has a movie coming out with Amy Adams that called The Arrival yeah we Um, talked about that on our sci-fi podcast did you (laughs) yeah we did Um, we're excited to see and he's just like an incredible visual filmmaker I mean I think for, for us it's very much filmmaker um driven um and so it's really just like being brought into a world. I mean, it can be anything, you know, we were just talking about stranger things the other day that that series on Netflix and like, (laughs) it just felt so fresh in its nostalgia. And I, I'm, I grew up on Spielberg films and 
you know, watching Poltergeist and E.T. and and Stand By Me and Aliens. And um, to me, I was like, God, that this feels so fresh, even though like some some of it felt so familiar, but it felt fresh in the sense that I have not seen that in 30 years, yeah. you know. Um, so and then I, I would say we're developing a couple of biopics. We're doing a Harriet Tubman movie um in the new year which we're really excited about i feel like her story hasn't been told and um this teddy roosevelt thing we're doing is really irreverent we're doing it with this awesome director named alex timbers who's a big um broadway theater guy and um so again we're just i think we're always just looking to be um dazzled and sort of looking to develop things and produce things and finance things that we haven't seen are there things that you like in new filmmakers or first time filmmakers that inspire you or you're like, like, I don't know, is it is it their approach to story? Is it the way they shoot their projects? Is there something that kind of like tickles your fancy? Yeah, I think it's always something distinctive. It could be either of those. Yeah. Um, like Damien Chazelle, who just did La La Land, his film Whiplash, you know, totally dazzled me. Um, and he's kind of gone on to continuous, you know, he might win an Oscar next year. Yeah. Um, and that started on a short film. That was like, a, yeah. you know, a lovely little short film that he did. That's huge. Um, but it could be, yeah, it's all, it comes back to all the same things, like people trying to do different things, distinctive, have a voice. Um, Whiplash was so outside. distinctive because of the percussion. Like it was, so, it was so smart and intelligent yep. the way they used sound in that movie. Oh, and yes. it was about Visceral. a music. Yeah, yeah it really was. I love that movie. It really was. Yeah. But we just worked, um, Kristen actually brought in this project that um, she had worked with these two young directors, Lauren and Chris, um, at Columbia. And we just, we just financed a film. Um, it was based on a short film that they had brought to Sundance, which was like a really incredible um, short. And then um, they expanded it into a long form. And for me, it, it was a thriller. I'd never done a thriller. Like that's that's not sort of territory that I'm familiar with. But, you know, those were two directors who came mm-hmm. into the room and just like were so clear in their vision and confident as, as really young filmmakers, I was like, well, they're willing, I'm willing to take a risk on these people because they're just so sure in what they want to do. And, and they had this short film to back it up. And so mm. I, I think for young filmmakers, I'm always grateful when there is a short film because it's, it's concise and it's easy for me to see whether someone in my opinion, ha- like has a real voice or not. And so I always encourage young filmmakers to really like, Go, go for it just go do a, a great short film so that like you know me, us as producers and financiers can really get a sense of like wh- well what are you talking about like you mm-hmm. can talk talk to the cows come home and put together a great lookbook but I really need to see what you are doing behind the camera um, and see your voice yeah, yeah exactly Danielle I think you is it time for her to depart yeah, us okay yeah, we, <laughs> thank you we, thank you so, so much yes and we're gonna keep <laughs> we're gonna keep talking with Kristen yes yes Kristen I'm so curious how um like your role at Indiegogo and how that <laughs> has helped you as a producer too and what what that experience was like too well there's before I was at Indiegogo I spent seven years at a company called Wild Bunch um, yeah, I saw that 
which is a very well-known foreign sales agent, um, distributor, and financier in Europe. So they're based in Paris. Um, but they're very known for doing auteur-driven, um, very director-focused, also very outside-the-box type of films. Um, they're known as like a very filmmaker-friendly company. Pretty much whenever I would go around to film festivals, when people found out I worked there, people would practically bow down to me <laughs> and be like, please make my movie. I want to be in the wow bunch, like pantheon of filmmakers. Um, so being there, I learned a very different perspective than I think most people who end up working in the U.S. industry, which is I, ha- I got a very um, in-depth perspective on the international market. So learning how stuff works outside the U.S., how movies get put together, how foreign sales works, how people can, you know, utilize certain treaties between countries to finance their movies, soft money, different ways of doing things that aren't the way things are done here because we don't have government support, we don't have treaties between countries, you know, we don't have any of these things that, like, pretty much the rest of the world has. So I learned a very different perspective on how you can make movies internationally, how you should not just always think about the U.S. when you're making movies and not be so U.S. focused because there is a whole wide world out there that watch films and sometimes I would say even more so than here in the U.S. So um, that was a very different perspective I learned. And then also buying movies for France. (laughs) So learning the French market and how they respond to things, that was... Very different. So I think what I bring to to stay gold is um, that kind of perspective, which most people don't really have yeah. um, who work in producing here in the U.S. So when we assess a project, I'm definitely always thinking about where could this go internationally? Will it do well? Could it pre-sell to certain territories? Um, could we shoot it somewhere outside the U.S.? And would that be beneficial for us? Um, so then after that, I went to work in Indiegogo, a crowdfunding tech startup. And the thing I learned there was being in a place where you're competing with a major David and Goliath situation in the Indiegogo versus mm. Kickstarter world. And when I came into Indiegogo, you know, our first Sundance, I got people saying to me, what is crowdfunding? What is Indiegogo? And really having to go from like ground zero and work my way up to even explain how crowdfunding worked wow, to people. Yeah. And so that was a learning curve to learn how to kind of explain that to people and then get them on the platform and then get them to do it correctly. Um, and it was successful. I mean, I spent two and a half years there and really learned how to like sell a platform that nobody knew what it was. Um, and to get people to understand how you really do it efficiently and actually, you know, achieve your goal. Um, but it got a little exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to come back and here I am. Um, That's great. So, yeah, I think we have a nice synergy in that, like, my background is not your typical producing background. Um, and Daniela's is obviously very, she's very scrappy. 
um, started, you know, doing very small movies and has worked her way up and now done 25 movies and she's super young. So it's very admirable and, um, you're both badass women doing it. Together, yeah, which is it's true. I like to think so. It's cool. cool. <laughs> it's true. You don't have to think it. It's okay. <laughs> cool. I like it. I love that you have this other experience too of, because of Hollywood, I feel like films in the US are made a lot, which you've said, a lot differently than elsewhere in the world because it's like for a trajectory for Hollywood kind of thing. Yeah. Um, did you, I have a, I actually have a personal question. Did you ever experience any films in multi-languages? Because I'm actually working on a film right now that's in three languages. And I didn't know if you had seen that or. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Off the top of my head, I can't tell you. Tell you what. <laughs> but I, f- wasn't Babel in multiple languages? I don't know. Oh, I, I think know it that might movie. be. Okay. I think it might be. I'll like Spanish, Japanese, and English. Well, cool. yeah. But. Not easy. It isn't easy. <laughs> um, it isn't easy. And this story is about um, three Olympic athletes and their journey to the Olympics. So it's um, a Russian, a Saudi Arabian woman, and a Brazilian. So it's in Portuguese, Arabic, and Russian. And it, it, it's really interesting. What you always want to think about with that, which most people don't think about, is that it's much easier to sell an English language movie, even if it's from another country, um, globally. Yeah. Oh, that makes that, a lot ma- of that sense. makes a lot of sense. It does because more people probably, <laughs> yes, globally speak English. Yes, it's much easier. Kind of a language. Even in, like my husband's in business, and like even the business language is English most of the time. It just automatically puts yeah. up a barrier. Like when yeah. you think about people in the middle of America, they yeah. don't go see you know subtitled movies. Yeah. So even if you have a Hollywood movie that like takes place in you know Israel or Germany, they're always speaking English. Even though it's clearly inauthentic. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is something that's always like slightly. They have like an act. They have which, like a British which accent. Is yeah. why, I think, that, which is why this director like w- went there and like did it this way. But yeah, I, I haven't looked at if there's other films with multi languages before. I just have never seen that done before. I feel, so, yeah, I think it's been done a few times. Yeah. I'm sure everything's yeah. been. It makes your trans. <laughs> you have to hire a few translators. This <laughs> <laughs> budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So since you worked at Indiegogo, I know you didn't necessarily work all in um, raising funds, but what sort of good ideas as far as outside of the box thinking for um, for financing? Yeah, I mean, in in the case of Indiegogo, it was, you know. Mm-hmm. We get tons and tons of films here every day and at Wild Bunch, too, that I would pass on. And, you know, just because they weren't what fit the bill, not necessarily bad, um, but they're not exactly what we're looking for. So, you know, I had a lot of people that, you know, had been working on a project for a really long time and they'd gone through the normal route and couldn't find anyone to finance it, but they didn't really want to give up on their passion project. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm of the opinion there's an audience for everything if it's pretty decent (laughs) unless it's unwatchable (laughs) but (laughs) maybe there's an audience for unwatchable things too you know (laughs) Um, b movies there's people who like that there's people who love that stuff (laughs) everything Um, comes like a cool classic um uh so you know i just saw that as it's an avenue to be able to get movies that maybe can't go the traditional route to get made and sometimes it didn't work and sometimes it does work. Um, but right before I left, we had this 
big campaign for a movie called Super Troopers 2, uh, which was a <laughs> sequel to a very big Fox movie. Mm-hmm. And Fox decided they no longer wanted to make R-rated comedies, but they had the option on the remake. So they told them, we'll distribute it if you go find the production financing. They couldn't find anyone to finance it. Oddly enough, and so they went to Indiegogo and raised $5 million. That was the biggest campaign we'd had there, and I think still the largest film campaign they've had um, today. Uh, but something like that, where it's like you would think it would be able to get financed, but, you know, the Fox wasn't looking for to do those movies anymore, and nobody else wanted to kind of be the one to bite the bullet, so they just went out and kind of did it, and I believe they're actually shooting it right now. But... Um, that's just something to think like you would think you'd be able to be financed traditionally but like in today's day and age it's not not necessarily a sure thing so sometimes you have to go a little you have to think a little bit outside the box if you have to actually want to get it done and get a passion project done so I you know that was my experience at Indiegogo a lot was just trying to help people kind of navigate the waters of being rejected the traditional way <laughs> so it doesn't matter what level you're at money is always it's always yeah <laughs> it's, always it's, always, hard part, right? it's always a hard part first money in last money in is always the hardest you know? <laughs> did you like when did you know you wanted to be a producer was that something that like was it a light my bulb my dad moment? is in the film industry okay um and i went to film school at columbia where I actually met the filmmakers that did the strange ones, the thriller we were just talking about. Um, I went to school with them. Uh, And I was on the producing, in the producing track there. So I kind of did that. And I realized through that, that I really wanted to be more on like the industry side, as opposed to like an on-set producer. Um, So I started, while I was there, I produced a bunch of short films, some of which were these directors short films and um, started working at the Weinstein Company in acquisitions. So that's kind of how my kind of, But did my you know as film. a kid? Like, oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I saw my was dad it? and my parents who were in the film business and I was like, no, I want to get as far away from this as possible. <laughs> so I actually wanted to go into fashion. Um, and I came to New York and realized that was not what I wanted ultimately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And decided that, yeah, at the end of the day, like, I really like movies. I like, you know, I spent most of my time watching movies. I was always kind of fascinated, you know, with old movies and like the history of Hollywood. So that's that's kind of how it, it all came together. Were your parents, because they were in the industry, really good about being like, we need to watch this movie or like kind of showing you what was out there or was it kind of just, you know, influenced by friends and A little bit. I mean, when I was younger, I'd seen my dad's favorite movies. Um, But then when I got into high school, I started, it was like that time period of when all those like the huge directors of now were making their indie movies like Memento and Mulholland Drive and all those movies that were like pie. Um, it just had a moment where I rewatched Requiem for a Dream last oh, week. Oh, that's a good one. And I was like remembering when I saw that and how much it had affected me. Um, so that was like a time period where there was like an indie renaissance going on and Miramax was like, 
the greatest company to me of all time because they released <laughs> all of them. So me sitting in LA was just like, I got to go to New York and I got to work at this company. That's great. <laughs> um, and then I happened to work at the Wines Company right after they split uh, from Disney and Miramax. So I didn't ever actually work at Miramax. There's still time. But- <laughs> one day I don't think they to. really exist in full form <laughs> okay well I like to dream yes I can take a time machine back to the, to the good old days what's your favorite movie oh my god you can't ask me or, no. or, or like what's like one of your favorite movies or your top three or oh man I know I, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, mine changes. It's like it's when people everything. ask me, it's like it always movie changes. I could literally watch for eternity and never get bored is like Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like the remake? I've not seen it. Oh yet. wow! I is know. it is it because you love the original or just no, time? It just ha- like just I was time. traveling in France and in Colombia when it came out, and then by the time I got back, like everyone <laughs> I know had seen it, and so I'm sure I will see. I it. I haven't seen it either. Probably on an airplane at some point. <laughs> I saw it. It's very funny. It's, but it's, it's hilarious. Like the movies that like changed me. I wrote my Columbia Film School admission essay on A Clockwork Orange. Mm. So I guess that one had a big impact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To write. Yeah. That's great. So what's your what's your favorite part of producing? Because there are many facets. That's one of the things. The more I look into producing, I'm like, you guys do everything. Yeah. And there's so <laughs> well, many different types the of The thing about me is too. I'm like super organized and that's like a big component <laughs> <laughs> of keeping it together. So everyone's always been like, you'd be a great producer because you're just so insanely organized and have your shit together. <laughs> um, so uh, the best part, I mean, the, the like ultimate goal is you have something that like hits a note with people. So, like, with Daniela, like, Beast of No Nation had such an effect on so many people. That's the Mm -hmm. ultimate goal, to, like, make something that transcends the test of time and, like, is not just a throw, you know, not a popcorn movie. It really, like, makes a difference in people's lives and people's perception of things and kind of has an impact for many, many years to come. So that's, you know, the big payoff is when you have something that actually, like, hits um and people take notice and not that like recognition is the only good thing but just to actually like to make a movie even a bad one is so hard (laughs) (laughs) so to make a movie that's actually good (laughs) and people like and is like the ultimate achievement and if you can make some money on it that's like even more of an achievement (laughs) so icing on the cake it's the icing on the cake to put in all that work and to actually have payoff and you do get the payoff you know so one of the first movies i ever worked on was the wrestler oh yeah um i was an assistant to the producer on that a wild bunch and you know, we worked on that and nobody wanted to make that movie. Nobody wanted to give Mickey Rourke a chance. No one wanted to give Darren Aronofsky a chance because he came off that terrible movie, The Fountain. <laughs> so Wild Bunch made that movie and, you know, that resurrected both of their careers. And it's a good, it's a really good it's, film. you know, was really kind of gritty portrayal of this very flawed character that really made a difference. So that, you know, being the first movie I worked on at Wild Bunch really put me on a high. And I was like, wow, these are the kind of movies we're going to make. Like, these are movies that are, you know, they'll be on the AFI top 100 one day. And then the recession hit, like, two months later. And then we didn't make a movie for, like, three years. But... (laughs) 
Well, it takes a long time, too. I think that's something we've talked to with a lot of filmmakers that um, the general public doesn't really get is how long it takes the process of making yeah. a film From beginning to end yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't think it's most a lo- long people... gestation period <laughs> yeah. sometimes years and years and years and years like years longer than an take that long just time. forever mm-hmm. um yeah most people don't really real i mean best case scenario you're you know in it for a year and a half best case scenario yeah so you know um we just we like to have a lot of different things going in different stages so that we're not you know you have one in post you're one in production you have one you're developing just kind of keep the variety so you can have ideally a constant flow of projects going but you know it does take a long time and it can get frustrating and I like to I come from a world from foreign sales where you actually usually come on pretty late and so the movies are going very quickly um so you know I like to work quick and like to see the payoff so trying to work yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not you know the the world of development is slightly foreign to me because you know even when while when we had stuff in development at wild bunch we worked very quickly sometimes to the detriment of the project but <laughs> yeah it's hard to find that balance because you know taking time can kind of like flush out the story and you know have a good process but at the same time if you're with something too long too you kind of I'm like I can't watch this in like yeah some, and sometimes it becomes even dated like yeah you missed your opportunity that's, yeah that's a you great know, we point talk about that a lot it's like stuff that we've had for a while did we like miss the boat how can we you know make it fresh again what can we bring to the t- table with it that would make it reinvigorate it in some way because you know like right now, okay, the new thing is grounded sci-fi. <laughs> You're going to have like 20 of these movies come out now and it's going to become passe at some mm, point, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like with every film festival, it's always like, oh, who has the next Little Miss Sunshine? Who has the next Whiplash? Who has the next Ex Machina? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what it becomes. And then you get like a glut of them because those movies worked and then a bunch of them don't work and it becomes dated again. So it's just like, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for like first time filmmakers with the festival circuit? Like what, like how to approach that or any in like, terms of how to get your movie into it well or even <laughs> once you're there networking wise or yeah I mean my my advice always to filmmate like up and coming filmmakers is meet as many people as you can and form as many relationships as you can because at the end of the day this entire business no matter who you are in it producer director executive it's all based on relationships and who you know. Mm-hmm. So if you can meet as many people as possible and you know meet as many agents as possible, even if you're a short filmmaker, um, you're going to have those contacts that you can access. Um, you know, because if you sit in a room the whole time, you're not really going to make a splash. You have to get out there. You have to meet people. You what? have to be that on the work. scene. <laughs> <laughs> the day... I always said it in Indiegogo. I was like, the days of where, you know, a filmmaker is like agoraphobic and, you know, like the Wes Anderson model. Yeah. <laughs> like someone who like never leaves their house and mm-hmm. just kind of doesn't network or anything like that. Those days are over because like you have to have like an online presence, social media, you know, really be out there to like so people don't forget who you are (laughs) do you guys look at that like if you're bringing on a first-time filmmaker for a project do you look at social media Uh, i did it in digergo okay um because that was a big component of a so of a crowdfunding campaign is somebody who has social media Mm -hmm. so no i don't think we don't look 
at that specifically it's really more on like what have they done before in terms of like do they have a short film are they a commercial director music video whatever it is like do they I think what we're looking for is like do they have what it takes to actually make a feature like do they got the chops mm-hmm. and like some you can tell off the bat and some you can't um so we're really more looking at that from our perspective um because it's not so predicated on like are they able to market themselves? But at the end of the day, someone who can market themselves can come in here and pitch to us and run a set and be, you know, a little more outspoken, outgoing. And, you know, I respect that. Yeah, so. for sure. For that sure. never hurts anything. For never sure. Never hurts. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't hurt. Yeah. I'm going to be like, they have a million Twitter followers? That's terrible. I don't want to make <laughs> like, I'm like, so upset about this. It's horrible. I want nothing to do with this person. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it only adds value. Especially once you're like, That's so I mean, true. we don't deal really in the marketing phase of something, but like, you know, people obviously see that as a plus no matter what. So I feel so bad. Please eat that if you want to eat it. <laughs> I'm going to be like <laughs> chewing now. That's all right. Just lean away. Yeah, yeah just lean away. I have like, like 30 of those. It's all right. I'm gonna I haven't Danny. seen Sour Patch Kids for... For a long time, Brandon's gonna have one. Sour Patch Kids too, which is it's literally probably about four Sour Patch Kids put together. (laughs) And I've had like ten of them already. Oh my gosh! (laughs) So where can our audience like keep updated about your guys's? future projects coming up yeah you can go to our website at www.staygoldfutures.com actually i don't even know if you need the www anymore <laughs> i think you can just like <laughs> i think you type can, it in yeah, it's fun to say <laughs> you can follow us on instagram <laughs> at staygold futures or on twitter at staygold film fund <laughs> or on facebook staygold features <laughs> multiple avenues of following awesome. what we're doing awesome, awesome. well great. thank you so much for taking the time Thanks to sit and us. talk to us we love getting to know you guys and uh this was our first show on the road so it we was. were pretty oh, excited I'm about it. it worked out then yeah and it did it worked perfect yeah well, thank, thank you so much thank you, thank you Kristen. Bye. yeah thank Thanks, you guys, guys for listening, for listening.